Welcome into episode 56 of the Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thorne, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law here with you tonight. It is officially playoff week, Alabama versus Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl down at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas. Kickoff set for, I believe, 3.30 p.m. Uh, on Friday afternoon, New Year's Eve. Um, Alabama sitting right now, I believe it's a 13.5 point favorite, 14 in some places, uh, right around the two touchdown mark. Um, but, uh, you know, didn't get to record last week. Everybody was busy with the holidays, particularly me. Um, hope every, every, hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas is out there listening to us. Um, Lester, let me put you on the spot right here. What is the best Christmas present that you received this year? Could have been from Santa Claus, could have been from a family member. What's the best Christmas present that you got this year? Um, yeah, I don't know. I got a gym membership. Does that count? Well, maybe in a year, he'd be like, yeah, that's the best present ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean. but no, I got a, um, I got an Atlanta Braves um, World Championship Cup, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, you got a fire pit, which is where you're at right now, I do believe. Got a fire pit. Yeah. So, yeah. J-Lo, J-Lo, what was your top gifts? What, what, what all did you get from, from Santa Claus this year? Yeah, my uh, Spanish parents got me one of those big-ass Husky toolboxes like with the power strip and the USB plugs and the lights on it. So I think I got a place to store all my stuff. They got me a big storage cabinet to go in my my basement and garage. I think my parents gave me a bunch of money. It was a good Christmas. It was a good Christmas, man. I hope y'all, I hope y'all had a good Christmas too. Yeah, David definitely doesn't need it. He's, he's, he's full of it. He, he can definitely uh, give some away. I wish he'd have sent some my way as well. Yeah, I got some – I got some Hey Dudes, which is I've wanted for a while. I love those shoes. I haven't taken them off all weekend. Uh, Chandler got me a really sweet uh, Alabama hat. And um, I got a new smartwatch, all, all, all kind of stuff that, uh, that I'm very thankful for. But, you know, over the last couple of weeks on the hardwood, and we'll touch on this first. We're not going to spend too much time on it. Um, because it is playoff week, plus Alabama's kind of been playing like ass lately. But uh, Alabama drops two of their last three non-conference basketball games. And, um, you know, their only win against Jacksonville State, they are up by 16 and one point late in the game. Jack State makes a run. I think they ended up winning by like five points. Um, so Alabama not playing great basketball, losing to Memphis and losing to, to Davidson, who was a fill-in for the Colorado State game in the CM Newton Classic. And uh, I think Lester said, what, what is the irony that, uh, that a bunch of white dudes come in here and beat us in the CM Newton classic or, or whatever. Yeah. I thought that was pretty humorous, uh, but Asian but, who would not miss. <laughs> no, no, they, they, they definitely would not miss. And that's usually how it is. You know, Alabama does not play well against teams like that, but uh, Lester, let's just, let's talk about these last two weeks, you know, heading into to SEC play on, on Wednesday night against Tennessee at home in Coleman Coliseum. Um, what has been going on with this with this Bama basketball team? Do you think there are some deeper issues here, or do you think it's maybe see I I'm I'm half and half. Half of me says that there are some problems with this team. Quinterly still hasn't gotten going yet. Shaq, you just better pray to God that he's hot because he's going to shoot it no matter what. Um, it, you know, it's Keon is either white hot or ice cold. There's really no in between with him. Um, he couldn't miss against Jacksonville State. Then against Davidson, I think he was like three out of nine. Um, and then half of me thinks that, you know, you're, you're coming off of a high in an, in an emotional Houston win. You know, that play at the buzzer, everybody thought it was goaltending. It wasn't called. There was some drama there. Then you had to turn around three days later, play on the road in that crazy court, in that crazy arena at Memphis. Um, and then maybe it's a case of playing down the competition because Alabama, um, it, on paper, they're really inconsistent. You beat Gonzaga in Seattle. You beat Houston. Those are two top 15 teams. But then you lose to three unranked teams in Iona, Memphis, who's still a, a good team, and, uh, and Davidson, of course. So, Lester, do you think it's a case of the team having some big-time issues that's going to affect them in SEC play? Or do you think it's more of them just playing to their competition, whether it's playing up to their competition or playing down to their competition? Um, I think it, I think it can point to a couple of things, but one thing that I will mention um, that you haven't brought up yet is what about leadership? You know, you lose Petty, um, Herb Jones, 
you know, a lot of those older seniors, you know, whether they played or contributed or not, they've been in the program, you know, a couple of years. Granted, you know, the um, coaching changed under them. But, you know, the, the fact remains is they've been there. They've done that. You know, I think losing that leadership um, is, is something that's kind of overlooked. But at the same time, man, Alabama has played some truly quality opponents. Um, Davidson, they are good. They're number one. I think they were eight and two. Um Leaders in the A10 division, I think that they played in, and the and they have a really really good team. Um, I was I was at the game in Birmingham, and you know what happened to us is kind of what happens, you know, when Bama's hot. We bomb on people, you know, shooting threes, crazy shots all over the place. But it happens to us. And nothing that that they that Davidson did and that teams in the future will continue to do. Which is why it's so frustrating to watch. But Alabama does not have a half court offense. If a team goes zone, if if Bama can't run up and down the floor, they are freaking lost, and it's it's frustrating. You know, Alabama is not Alabama and Nate Oates. They're they're not sneaking up on anybody anymore. You're not doing that. When people see Alabama on the calendar, it's circled. They know you're coming. They're going to prepare for you. So I I think it's a little bit of they play. They of course they play quality opponents. Um, a lack of a half court offense. You know, missing some leadership somewhere, which hopefully will come as the season goes along. And you know, you're just not sneaking up on anybody anymore. So you know, I think all those things combined together, um, it leads to what we've seen recently. Now, granted, Alabama only lost by one point, um, to Davidson, but still, a loss is lost no matter what. So, you know, there's definitely a couple of things that they'll work on. I think a couple of things that they will build on. But this really tough opening session, uh, op- opening part of the season will be beneficial going into SEC play. I see your point to a degree about the leadership. But at the same time, I, are, are you talking about how there's just not a lot of dogs like Herb was last year? Like, hey, look, I'm going to sit here. I don't care if he's a point guard. I don't care if he's a center. I'm going to guard your best player, and I'm going to lock him up. Are you saying there's nobody? And we knew that was not going to happen. He's probably the best defender in Alabama history. Um, I'd put him up against anybody just because of the way he was able to guard one through five at six foot seven, how long he was, and you know that he was just a defensive specialist. Um, and so we knew we were going to be lacking in that in that regard, but you've got guys on this roster that have played a lot of basketball. I mean, Q, this is his second year starting. He's got a lot of starts under his belt. Noah Gurley, I know it's at Furman, but he's played a lot of basketball. He's played in a lot of big games. You know, Furman, they play a lot of top-tier teams. And uh, so he's played against this type of competition before, and uh, and he's done incredibly well. That's why, you know, Alabama was so excited to get him in the transfer portal. Um, Shackelford has started since day one. Uh, so he has played a lot of basketball for Alabama. So, and, you know, Keon Ellis, a lot of minutes last year probably could have gotten more, and he started every game this season. So they have um, experience, I guess you could say. They have experience, but you're saying they're lacking that. I, I You know, Lester, like you talking about with the football, that the, the football team, that killer instinct, is that what you think they're lacking? Because they have plenty of experience – they just don't have the the leadership, you know, whether it's, you know, leading by example or or vocal leader, leader. Is that what you're saying that they're missing? Right. right. Who who's that who's that dog on the team? Now, one thing that was really, really encouraging was like you said, like Noah Gurley. He came out and said that, you know, I feel like he called some folks out. You know, if you're not practicing as hard, if you're not watching film, you know, stuff like this will happen. And I was glad to hear that come from that guy. Um, uh, he may not have played the best. Um, up until this point, but him saying that, and you know, maybe they'll light a fire under some people, which is what they, which is what I feel like they need. J Law, kind of the same question. What, what, what do you take from these last two weeks of round ball? Do, do you think that this team's on a downhill slope going into SEC play, or do you think that it's a case of, you know, that they can see Tennessee on the schedule and they'll, they'll be fired up to play come Wednesday? I just think it's a, it's a matter of hot and cold. And, you know, last year it was really easy for Alabama, especially down the stretch, to have great defensive performances. You're able to make shots, get back in your sets, make it hectic for the other team. But when Alabama comes out, guys, and uh, Shackelford is over until the midway point of the, the second half and 
Keon Ellis shoots like he did and JQ can't finish at the rim and your big man has four fouls with 10 minutes to go in the second half, like that basketball, it does help you on the defensive end. And uh, it gets kind of discouraging. And so, I mean, I'm not so sure it's a lack of dogs because, I mean, Herb Jones, for the majority of his career, was a defensive specialist. He comes out last year, he's giving you 15 per game or so, able to play great on both sides. I just think my biggest takeaway from all this is as good as Jaden Shackelford can be, he might give you a phenomenal five-game stretch multiple times a year. He did it for Alabama from the SEC tournament all the way to the UCLA loss up until that UCLA, UCLA game, but this guy cannot be the focal point of your offense. You cannot have somebody who can score 31 night and none the next night be the guy that you go to in every every key situation, he can't be the guy you expect to get your team fired up. They have got to find some middle ground, a middleman to to finish at the rim that can play with any type of consistency. And you thought that you were going to get that from JQ. Well, you have in some games played great against Gonzaga, finished at the rack tons of times, played good against Houston. But in Alabama's losses, man, JQ and Shackelford and Keon Ellis have been uh, – well below average, and I think that's being a, a little disrespectful to the word average because they have not been good. So they just they have to get it going, but they're way too inconsistent of a team right now for anybody to expect them to make a run. Now, they can get hot. Don't get me wrong. They could go they could get hot here at the beginning of SEC play, at the end of SEC play, and into the tournament. But I think it, it, you'd be kind of – I wouldn't say it would be the smartest decision to put your money on Alabama to make it to the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16, because they're just – I don't really think they're that good at this point. Well, yeah, and to make a run in the tournament, you got to be consistent, right? You know, this is a – so we're in the same boat as last year when this podcast was screaming, you know, this team lives by the three and dies by the three. And a lot of people – that was a big argument last year. And I asked some other people on Twitter who had a podcast, and they answered it, and they, they tried to make it out like I was stupid. Well, you know, why don't you just go back and see – what was our mark? 35%, right? When we shoot 35% from deep, why don't you go find our record under Nate Oates? And I guarantee you we win at least 85% of our games, if not higher. I don't know it off the top of my head. But when this team – because you're going to shoot so many threes, if you make them, you're going to win the game. And, yeah, it helps to play good defense and all that stuff. But when it comes down to you're going to shoot the ball. I think another problem is, like Lester was talking about, in the half-court offense, Nate Oates, he has kind of a driving dish – and I'm so sick and tired of our guys driving to the baseline, jumping five feet out of bounds and trying to throw a pass down the sideline or back to the opposite wing. That's, that is the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. That is terrible basketball. And they must have had, you know, Memphis continually picked that pass off. Davidson did. And I'm just – it's because, oh, I can't get by this guy. So instead of using my head and just stopping and backing my dribble out – I'm just going to jump out of bounds and throw that shit, you know, wherever. I hope somebody catches it. It's just the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But I think a problem is in NATO's half-court offense, he, you have to either get to the rack in a one-on-one -on -one, um, or, you know, you have to be able to drive and, and get by your guy and draw another defender and then kick. And I think the only two guys that can get by anybody on this roster are J.D. Davidson and Q. Um, and I think the problem is, is that Shaq is one of those top two guys that are trying to get by people and he just can't do it. So he throws up these wild shots that, we, that we've seen, in, in, you know, in the past and we'll see in the future. Um, so I think that's a big problem. Shackford needs to be your kick guy. He needs to be the guy that slides to the corner, a catch and shoot guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to spin my wheels because y'all know I'll, I'll say this over the next two months, uh, three months, whatever. Um, because I, it's, it's not going to change. And, uh, you know, Shaq, he is who he is now. He's going to turn the ball over. He's not going to keep his head up. He's not going to, you know, see the passing lanes. He's not going to make the pa a good pass. Um, he's going to try to flop on defense and draw charges. He's one of the best floppers in the country. Uh, he's been that way for two years now. And, you know, he's going to knock down open threes. He's going to knock down some, some trash threes as well. And then he's going to drive into the lane, and he's going to throw up some shit, and he's going to make 40% of it. Uh, this is who he is by now. Um, so, you know, you know we, we, I can go into a, a longer spiel about it, but um, 
you know, what we, we've got another three months or two months after, uh, after football season um, ends, whether that's, that's this Friday or January 10th to, to talk about the basketball team. So uh, you hope that, you know, they, they come to play against Tennessee, who's a ranked team and, and uh, just beat Arizona at home. They're coming off of a big win. And uh, so you hope that they can get it together and this time off has really helped them. But um, sliding into the gridiron boys um, in Jerry's world on Friday, Alabama, Cincinnati. Let's go ahead and start breaking down this team. Um, J-Lo, we'll start with you and then, and then we'll go to Lester. Just when you first look at this game on paper, what are your immediate thoughts? Is there anything that jumps off the page about these two teams and maybe where Alabama could have some advantages, maybe where Cincinnati could have some advantages. What, what jumps out to you first? At numbers wise, man, it's their defense. They have a top 15 defense. I know it's against that schedule. I know that the one quality win they have, or at least that people chalk up to is Notre Dame who finished in the top six. They do have a top 15 defense. I think it's ranked 11th in the country. They stopped the run well. They stopped the pass well. It's really been the Cincinnati offense in a lot of key games this year. That was um, – I remember that – I think it was a Tulsa game down the stretch where they had to force a turnover at the end to win. But it's kind of the Cincinnati offense that wasn't coming through for that team. And they were their defense was playing lights out. Um, but when you look at their offense, man, they have a sub-40 rush offense. I think number 49 pass offense. And against that schedule, it makes you wonder offensively how good are these teams. They're playing teams that they're supposed to have way more talent than all year round, all year long, um, outside of probably Notre Dame. And while they score a lot of points, they, they've had some not, non-offensive touchdowns this year, so they're able to you know score on defense when the offense isn't on the field. But when I think about their rush offense, their passing offense, I know they have Jerome Ford to run the ball. It doesn't really excite me. And if Alabama can make Cincinnati one-dimensional the way that they were even able to make Georgia one-dimensional, all those Stetson Bennett through for 340 and three touchdowns with a pick six, if Alabama can kind of dictate the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball and force Ritter to have to throw it, he doesn't have a great receiving core. I think he has a tight end he likes to rely on a little bit. But, man, if they can just kind of say no sir to the run game, make Ritter pass it. Man, I think Alabama can do whatever they want to on defense if that's the case. They do have those two first-round corners that everybody expects to come off the board. So, you know, if you had Mechie, um, you can made have kind of slid into Corey and Slade and figured out a way to get more guys open like Billingsley on a linebacker. But so now they're going to have their two corners, one on a number one, one on our number three. And Alabama's going to have to work out from there. It's an intriguing matchup, but these guys are going to play out of their mind, and we know that. Right there, like when you're talking about the matchups with the corners, do you think Alabama can use that as an advantage because they don't have a number two right now? Because if you look at it, it has potential to be, you know, Ja'Cory, Treshawn, uh, Baker, Hall, we, you know, all the guys that haven't played. Um, you know, Slade's going to be used as that little, that little slot guy. They'll just put a defensive lineman on him. He's not going to do much. Um, but then, you know, it, we could work Billingsley into the into the uh, into the game plan you can work lot to you know throw into the running backs uh i you know i think or i mean my question to you is do you think that that kind of helps bill o'brien to say hey i don't have to force feed jamo and mechie i, I can force feed jamo and i think jamo's going to get his no matter what because you know it, it's a spread era offense is always going to win there's rules that you know help the offense way more than the defense you can't you can't touch anybody on defense anymore and uh, so I think, all, you know, the offense is always going to get there. So I think J-Mo gets his. Um, I think Sauce Gardner really, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see. An another question, J-Lo, do you think – because jmo has been lining up in the slot more and more in the second half of the season, uh, especially out of the bunch sets. Do you think that they kind of just – they run more bunch so you can't – so it's tougher to run man on J-Mo? Or, and also, do you think that Sauce Gardner moves down into the slot with J-Mo and kind of – like an NFL mentality, I, I go where you go. We're one-on-one, -on -one, best on best, every single play. Let me see what you got. Um, but then also, you know, do you think that helps Alabama that they don't have to force feed two guys and they can maybe work more guys into the game plan? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot right there. So I, I thought – I was telling somebody the other day, I thought this three-week period benefits Alabama probably more than any other team 
uh, in the college football playoff. Man, Georgia is what they are. I mean, what are they going to change up other than playing JT Daniels? They have nothing. I mean, over the last month, man, other than the Georgia game, Alabama really didn't do that many things well. They had to reshuffle the offensive line, who is still wet behind the ears, especially when you talk about Seth McLaughlin. Now you lose John Mechie. You have a month to find somebody else to pop in that slot. But if you're Bill O'Brien, you're looking at this defense. I think it's – I can't – I don't even know the other corner's name. I know Sauce Gardner, the other guy, should be a first-rounder too. But hey, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, Bryant. That's right. So you have a chance to move J-Mo around. And now Cincinnati's also trying to guess who that guy will be. So how much – how creative has Bill O'Brien been in the last three and a half weeks to say, okay – if they're watching tape, it's all Mechie, especially when we're in a third and seven a lot of times. What can we do here? Can we move J-Mo in a bunch set? Can we work him on the linebacker? How can we get our tight ends back involved in the game plan like they were the first four or five weeks of the year? And I think that leaves Cincinnati with it. I think that kind of leaves their their defense stranded and out to drive because, I mean, what are you going to – what is Alabama going to do in the first half that they're not prepared for? And is their coaching staff at Cincinnati good enough to make those adjustments to stop it down the stretch in the final 30 minutes? And if you think about what, you know, what Alabama can do against Cincinnati from a depth, from depth wise, you know, Alabama's got six or seven guys they can run out there at receiver that I truly think that they feel confident in. So, I mean, it went, when they go into a dime set, I mean, how many good defensive backs is Cincinnati going to have on the field? And they already run the three three five, so you know you're going to run it with B Rob and Trey, and uh, and you're probably going to use a little bit of Kendall Randolph if they're going to pull an old Miss and stay in that set, and you're just going to run it, run it, run it, and then when they come up, you're going to throw it over their head. So I think Bill O'Brien, although he's sitting at home doing all of this stuff on Zoom right now with COVID, along with Doug Marone, they're probably hanging out. Now I think he's kind of licking his chops, knowing that if Cincinnati wants to come up and play physical, we have enough receivers that we have faith in, whether it's Brooks whether it's uh, Holden, Slade, J-Mo, Billingsley, Latu, we have enough weapons on the outside. If you want to come up and stop the run, we're going to beat you. Lester, there, there's been some rumors. I haven't heard anything uh, concrete yet, but that, you know, Darian Dalcourt is back as the first string center. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody saw the difference that Seth McLaughlin made in the second half in the Iron Bowl and in the uh, SEC championship game with the, you know, just from a, a protection standpoint, getting guys to the right slides and communicating with Bryce, you know, you saw the protection was so much better on, on the last drive of the Auburn game and, you know, all throughout the Georgia game. And, and so with Dalcourt, I think that was his, his problem is that he didn't communicate well with Bryce. And so it, if he is at first back at first team Lester, why do you think that is? Do you think that, Maybe the, it's a fact of he he's got, you know, just so much so much more ability blocking wise. Which I don't I didn't think Seth blocked bad, but listen, let me throw this at you as well. Do you think maybe it's because Nick Saban knows that he has to run the ball, he has to control the line of scrimmage in order to win this game? Because you know, um, Saban's not a type of guy that you know. Hey, if I'm gonna go play a, a natty without my you know my highest my high reception leader uh I need to get some guys work he doesn't think like that he thinks what you know the least amount I can do to win the game and get out of there I don't care if it's two to nothing I'm gonna do it so I, I look for this game to go under the total and I look for Alabama to really try to ground and pound so Lester do you think that's the reason that Dalcourt's back at center maybe McLaughlin wasn't that good of a uh, of a run blocker or do you think it's something bigger than that Yeah, I'm 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 kind of confused as to why, you know, this change is being made. I mean, we'll see if he'll actually come out and start um on Friday, but I think Seth stepped in some of the biggest moments of the year and did a dang good job. I I think that the biggest issue of the team or with with the center position, maybe it wasn't talent, but like you said, communication, like I pointed out. Freaking Seth McLaughlin turned his butt around, looked at Bryce and said, hey, we're on the same page here, one, two, one, two. You know what I mean? And then you can flow. You can move from there. But if everybody's screwed up, if everybody – if nobody knows what's going on, we've seen what that happened, what happens, you know, a.k.a. the Iron Bowl. Nothing but pure chaos. Nobody knows who to block, what's going on. And, you know, that kind of stuff has been going on, you know, under, you know, Delcourt all year. So we'll see. I Personally, I would like to see McLaughlin – 
stay in that spot. Yeah. You know, it's, it's worked for you thus far. It's some of the biggest games of the year for you. Why, why change it now? You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially Cincinnati and they're kind of small up front. You know, let the guy continue to build some confidence up, man. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing. And not just that, like you're talking about with protection. Whenever he's turning around, he's looking, talking about McLaughlin here. When he's looking at Bryce, it helps Bryce too. Because, I mean, like you're sacked seven times in the Auburn game. How many times when that ball or right before the ball is snapped and Bryce calls for the ball, it, it, how many times going through his mind to see like, okay, are we on the same page? Like, what, like, do they really know what we're doing here? And then, you know, against Georgia, you know, the confidence is so much higher because you're like, okay, I know exactly where they're going. They know exactly where they're going. We're all communicating so much better. Now I don't have to look at the pass rush. I can look downfield more and, and I can – you know, spend some more time in the pocket because I know the blitz pickup is, or I know the blitz is going to be picked up. And so that helps Bryce as well so much. And, uh, and, and yeah, Lester, I, th- I think I'm with you, man. Um, I think it just might be a case of maybe McLaughlin being too small because um, he's only weighing about 280 in there, 285, which is incredibly small for an SEC lineman. But like you said, that they're not going to be big up front. I think, uh, I wrote it down, Cincinnati's um, against the run. They're, they're 45th against the run, so they're not a good run-stopping team. J-Law mentioned the 3-3-5. Um, you know, they got a really good pass defense because they have – when you have five DBs on the field at all times, you can you – can, you, you don't have a lot of mismatches as an offense. So, uh, I, I think that Alabama can establish the run game um, and, but I, you know, Lester, I'm with you. I'd rather see McLaughlin than Dalcourt because Dalcourt had 11 and a half games to do it and, or whatever, 10 games to do it. He, he, he couldn't get it done. And, uh, you know, the, the one time, the one full game McLaughlin played was the best. So if it, if it ain't broke, why, you know, don't fix it. Um, so I, but we'll see as, uh, as practice reports come out and we figure out who's on that, that starting five, but uh, Lester, if you had a hundred dollar bill and you had to slam it on the table and say, I put hundred dollars. So-and-so is going to be my top three receivers. You're going to say JMO. You're going to say Slade. Who is that third receiver that's going to start the game for Alabama? Let me see how good you are. Woo. Uh, I want to say Jai Hall so bad, but I'm going to go with Brooks. I'm like going to go. With- I like Treshawn Holden. J-Law, who yeah, you Trayshawn's got? Yeah, Treshawn's been solid. Yeah. You think it's Ja'Cory? Yeah, I, I think it's Ja'Cory Brooks, man. When, what about JoJo? Freshman. Uh, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the big key, like how healthy is JoJo Rowley. The yeah. guy got all the reps, but he never called any balls. And and really, you know, Ja'Cory only got two targets against Georgia. One of them was an incompletion. The other was the pass interference. I mean, he didn't really see the ball that much, and it was still a key on J-Mo even after Mechie went out. But so, I don't know. I, I think you're – I think you're – Second guy might end up being a tight end, especially early. And I think there's going to be a big emphasis on getting 19 involved because I know we've been saying that all year. But, man, they know that if this guy can get going, he, he, like Brock Bowers, I know he's not Brock Bowers, but a tight end with linebacker is a mismatch when you have an athletic guy like that, whether it's OJ, Billingsley, Bowers. Dude, we were, we were comparing him to Kyle Pitts. Like, dude, he can do the right. same He can do the same stuff Kyle Pitts did. And I don't understand why, you know, we, we, we don't use him in, in a similar way. But, uh, man, the guy's just a freak athlete. And you remember a couple of years ago, Christian Barmore did not have a, uh, a very good regular season in his, in his final year at Alabama. It was only his third year. He was a redshirt sophomore, but he was draft eligible. And he goes into the Notre Dame game, shows out. He shows out against Ohio State, and boom, he gets drafted. And so – you know, hopefully Saban can sit Billingsley down, but look, dude, this isn't, you know, this can still be your money year. You've got two more games. You catch, you know, 12 to 16 balls over these next two games for a couple of hundred yards and about three touchdowns. Because remember, even OJ Howard was really debating on whether at his junior year when he caught for over, over 200 yards and those that couple of touchdowns against Clemson in the national championship, he was debating ongoing pro or not just off of one game because they saw the skill set and NFL guys fell in love with him. Same thing with Jaleel. This dude could go off and his money year is not over yet. And uh, so, you know, you, you hope something clicks, but um, JLo, you know, we talked about their offense. I want to break that down a little bit more. Jerome Ford, the former Alabama running back, uh, a guy who I would text y'all a lot about after the, uh, 
the spring scrimmages. He had a lot of nice scrimmages that I, that I got to see, but never capitalized to anything on the field. Never really got a shot. But um, with their with their run scheme, I, I believe that if you shut down the run, they're not. It's, it's a lot like Georgia. Desmond Ritter is a good quarterback. He's better than Stetson Bennett. But like you said, Jayla, they they don't possess the weapons to really push the ball downfield with consistency. Um, but you know, tight ends, man, they always scare me. Like I said, Alabama hadn't covered a tight end in 14 years. Uh, so, you know, those guys are always wide open, seems like. And even when they're not, like by the Georgia game, whenever we're draped all over Bowers, he's still going up and, uh, and catching balls over our heads. So, you know, tight ends always scare me whenever that's a, a big part of the opposing team's offense. But, you know, this run game kind of get into an X and O standpoint. Um they kind of – it's similar to what LSU did in 2019 with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You've got a – it's called a play side running back. Maybe you have a three-by-one to the right and running back on the left. So your strong side is still on the left side because that's where your back is. And it kind of – the tackles kind of wash everything down, and you read the backside end. And it's kind of a dive play off of the backside hip of the tackle, if that makes sense to anybody. You kind of wash – Wash your tackle on a 4-2 scheme up to the backside linebacker, you know, a 4-2 nickel scheme, which is what Alabama was going to run. And then you just read the backside guy, and if he crashes on the running back, you pull it with the quarterback, and there's nobody there. Florida did that a lot. LSU did a lot in 2019. And so that kind of run scheme is very difficult to stop. Um, you've got to have a, a defensive tackle that can really plug a gap right there because if you if you plug that gap, then you're – your linebacker can work freely because he's not getting double teamed. That that tackle guard combo has to stay on the tackle, and that linebacker becomes free. Also, your your star plays a big role in helping against the run. So I think probably Brian Branch is going to be that guy. Uh, he really needs to help in the run game. But Jay Law, if you shut down the run, can we agree that you know because because Cincinnati numbers wise is very intriguing. There, uh, I was doing some number crunching earlier. Offensively, you know, their total offense is 44th in the country. Rushing offense is 46th. Passing offense is 53rd. But their scoring offense is top 10. So that tells me they don't do anything great, but they're consistent in everything they do in all phases of their offense. So if you take away the run, what can they do against Alabama defensively to put points on the board? They're going to do what everybody else has done against this Alabama defense this year. The only team to run on Alabama this year has been Florida, and I think they ended up with over 200. And this Alabama rush defense is, I mean, they're, well, I think, 1.2 or so yards behind Georgia on a per game, uh, a rush per game number. So, I mean, listen, they're really good. But I think that Luke Fickle, he's been around enough. He was the Ohio State interim head coach. He's continued what has been a really good program since almost Brian Kelly was at Cincinnati a long time ago. He's continued that for the Bearcats, and I think he's smart enough to know that he can't hand the ball off 35 times and win this game. He can't run this balanced system. He's not going to be able to get, you know, run it on first down, get into a second and nine. You might as well try to throw it on first down and pick up some chunk yards on the Alabama defense. Man, but, you know, you, you say they, they're consistent. They do a lot of things well. Well, the number one thing Alabama does well is stop the run. So there's, I just don't see Luke Fickle and that offensive staff coming out and saying that they're going to try to establish the line of scrimmage. They know they're undersized. They know they have less talent. They're going to throw the ball. And Desmond Ritter, if he's hot, he can be hot. He was hot against Notre Dame when they beat Notre Dame. He can also be uh, Stetson Bennett-like. He can be very inaccurate. He can make some boneheaded mistakes. Um, I mean, so to me, they're going to have to throw the ball. They're going to have to throw the ball consistently to have success against this Alabama defense. And I'm sorry, yeah, this is this is Pete Golding time, guys. I mean, last year down the stretch, we were still kind of, oh, my goodness, what's the defense doing uh, after the Florida game? And then he comes out in the college football playoff and, and does what he does in the playoff. So Pete Golding with three and a half, four weeks to prepare with Nick Saban, I think that um, they're going to be able to stop the run, which gives Pete kind of a, a man, a cyber leap, man. It gives him a cyber leap. We can stop the run. Let's focus on the pass. Jaylaw, is that a, a uh, direct relation? And what you're talking about with Pete Golding, once he gets in the playoffs, he's a different coach. Do you think that's in direct relation to 
teams not having a different playbook just for Alabama all year long? Because, like, Cincinnati had no idea preseason they were playing Alabama. Uh, you know, Georgia did. I mean, they didn't have a – it wasn't predetermined, but everybody predicted Alabama and Georgia to meet up. So, But still, I, maybe they didn't have an alternative playbook, but everybody in the West, man, look at A&M, look at Arkansas, LSU. Um, the teams that Alabama struggled against had completely different plans, whether it's offensively or defensively, specifically for Alabama. And I think we can credit that to – some of the defensive struggles, uh, you know, now, you know, me and Lester both agree there's no excuse for a busted coverage. But um, do you think that that has something to do with Pete coaching so well in the playoff games? Yeah, I, th- I think it did last year. And also, in Al- I mean, I know Ohio State had a lot of athletes, but, man, we were just better than those guys last year. We are better than Notre Dame. We're better than Cincinnati. But expect your tricks, man. Like, Cincinnati, they had – like I told you a couple weeks ago, I think they don't want to be the first – non-power five team to make the playoff they want to be the first non-power five team to win the playoff they'll have tricks in this game if they win this one they'll have tricks in the next one but luke fickle knows you got to win this one and then you know it's no whole bars in the national title setting Alabama's going to get everything and i mean everything that cincinnati has to offer they haven't played anybody they got they got past Notre Dame, which put them on the map and ever since then they've played some close matchups i mean your houston is your Conference championship opponent. They're in the Birmingham Bowl. It isn't like they're trying to, they were fighting for a potentially two non powered five teams being in the New Year's Six. So uh, they're, Alabama's going to have their hands full, I think, in this game. And I don't, I'm not so sure that the 13, I think the 13 and a half is a little wide um, for this matchup, knowing that Cincinnati's going to do everything they can to win. I think that Cincinnati can come out and, and start the game and, and play off the motion. For maybe a quarter, it's usually you know you, you see that a lot. Uh, I think depth is too much, man. I, I think you know Alabama's like eighth in the country in total plays run. Um, so it, as explosive as they can be on offense, they will also grind out a drive on you in a heartbeat. And uh, and I think they're right around like seventy-seven plays ran. So this Cincinnati, you know, their their starters are good, but they don't have you know this this same depth that Alabama does. You know, rotating. Six or seven defensive linemen, uh, you know, two or three extra DBs, uh, you know, a couple extra linebackers or whatever. So, um, and, and that goes for special teams as well. Uh, so, I mean, gosh, Alabama's got like four or five five stars on the freaking kickoff team that don't even set foot on the field in, in the in the two deep. So, uh, I think that is going to show later. You know, I, I'll save all that for my breakdown at the end of the podcast whenever we break down the our final thoughts of the game. But Lester, um with the COVID situation, you know, Coach Marone and Bill O'Brien, I should have mentioned that earlier, but J Law didn't mention it for me. Um with, with they they're expected to be to return to the team before the game. So we don't know when that'll be, whether that'll be the 29th, 29th, or the 30th or Hell, even the morning of the game or whatever. But, you know, they're doing everything they're supposed to do from home. Uh, that's what Nick Saban says. So all their game plan and all that stuff, they're still doing it. And they are expected to coach in the game. Um, but, Lester, no COVID problems for Alabama, you know, since they've arrived. And they're expected to be bubbled. Um, Lester, j do you all know if they're – how much they're testing this week for, for COVID since the teams are basically bubbled up? Are they are they not testing at all? Oh, not at all. But I'm not sure. But well, J Law, I'm he's the, all over this. I, I'm under the impression that they're not testing. I know Saban said they're doing the same protocols, but I think those are the the uh, like the six feet apart and yeah. you know the, I think and the masking and things like that. I because what I've heard from George is man, they tested Stetson. Because Stetson was obviously sick, so if he had a chance to get more players sick, they were going to remove him from the situation. But for players that aren't showing any symptoms or anything like that, man, I, I'm finding it hard to believe that anybody is being tested. And Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien both being over age 50, I think one of them over 60, they were probably showing a few symptoms. They got tested and, and Saban sent them out, but um, I don't think this is one of those things where they're testing every day, every player, getting a nasal swab. you got to go sit in a room for 30 minutes mm-hmm. until your rapid test comes back. Uh, I, I think it's a full go. And I know if I'm Nick Saban, 9-1-73. 31. And, uh, 
and 31, they're, they're <laughs> coming nowhere near a nasal swab test in the next two and a half weeks. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and I agree with that and hope that's the way it is, but it just, at some point, doesn't it seem like just, there's just too many people that just want it to get canceled. And so they're just, they're just itching for it to happen. And, uh, and it's fine with me. If all, if, if both games get canceled, Alabama's a national champions, they have the highest ranking or whatever. But, uh, but uh, dude, how much would the country flip if Alabama won a natty and didn't have to play a playoff game? Yeah, I, you know, I think when the, yeah, when the college football playoff put out their thing last week, I think all the coaches and all the programs said, okay, man, if that's how they're going to play it, then we are not testing. We are not advising our guys to get tested. If you're saying that if we get COVID in the middle of a pandemic and we got a forfeit because we actually maybe – did or didn't do the right thing by testing our players we thought were sick. The hell, dude, we're not testing. We're not. We worked all year for this. You did. People don't understand about football and sports. Dude, you don't start in August, man. You start in February and you work your ass off until January to get there. There's no way they're testing these guys and potentially going to blow a chance to win a national title, especially if you don't have to test them. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, uh, a case of since they're being basically bubbled anyway, uh, you know, I, I don't expect them to be going out to top golf and going out to with these public places, even as a team, uh, I, I don't expect to be seeing any of that, um, which is what you'd usually do. You know, whenever you're in the playoff, you'd go out there and you have some fun on, on the town or whatever as a team, um, <clears throat> whether it's tonight, tomorrow and, and, uh, and, and Tuesday um, before you really start getting down to the nitty-gritty. So I don't expect to be seeing any of that. Uh, if that does happen, then my perspective may change on it. But, um, you know, for now, it's just the two coaches that have tested positive, and there's nobody else in COVID protocol for Alabama, which is a good sign. Hopefully it stays that way. I haven't heard anything about Cincinnati either. So, uh, you know, as of now, the game's a full go. But, um, Lester, all, offensively, for Alabama, you know, we all know about Messi being out. We know Alabama is more than likely going to try to control the game on the ground. Where does Alabama have the most success, Lester? I mean, obviously you want to say throwing the ball, right, because that's their identity now. I mean, Alabama's like 80th in the country in rushing. But do you, do you think that you could see some big plays in the run game? You know, our run scheme has, has been bad all year. Bill O'Brien is not a good run game play caller. Um so do you think that anything changes here? Or do you think that, you know, Alabama is still going to have to get their yards through the air and they're just, their run game is going to be non-existent again, even though Cincinnati, not a great rushing defense. Yeah. I was on um, Cincinnati's roster and I think they have three or four guys who are over 290 on that defensive line. This has to be a, a game where Alabama can reel off some chunk plays in the run game. If Bama is not successful running the ball in this game, there's serious issues going to the next championship game if they win, which I'm, I'm sure they will. So, yeah, this, this should be a great game. Of course you got Bryce back there. Of course you know you have that weapon. But I would love to see Bama take advantage. Take what they're giving you. They're giving you a small defensive line right in front of you. Beat those guys. Get B Rob, get get Trey Sanders, get those guys some touches, and let them run. Control the game is what I need Bama to do. Just control the game for the line of scrimmage. Yeah, you say that, but at the same time, you know, you got to get receiver number two, whoever that is, some reps, right? And I mean, that there'd be nothing better to me than to run the ball for 250 yards in this game, but at the same time, have you know, Jacory or Trace on or Jai, whoever it is, um, you know, get you know, six or seven catches, you know, get really into the, uh, into, into the rhythm of the game and really make an impact, you know, to build some confidence because you're gonna, you're gonna need those guys. I mean, you know, I, I said, said a month ago that you can't beat Georgia with two receivers. I was wrong about that. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty confident in saying that you can't beat Georgia with one receiver, you know, even though JMO run right by you real quick. Uh, I just don't think you're going to get, a repeat performance from Jameson Williams if you do end up playing Georgia again. So it would be great to have somebody, that receiver number two, that young guy, whoever it is, get some confidence um, heading into the next round if Alabama was to get there. But um, anything else do you have? Like, let me, let me turn the floor over to you, J-Law. Is there anything that I'm missing that I, you know, I wanted to cover 
Um, Cincinnati's offense versus Bama defense. Bama defense versus Cincinnati's offense. Um, you know, the lack of big playability from Cincinnati, I think we covered that, you know, with their tight end being the top target. Uh, Alabama offensively, where they have to go, we all expect them to, to run the ball, but we'd love to get wide receiver number two, you know, some touches if, if, we, if we can. Uh, is there what else do we need to do? We need to break down, Jayla. Is there anything you can think of? If not, we'll go ahead and uh, go ahead and give your final breakdown, and then give your prediction for the game. I man, when you're playing a team like Cincinnati that's not in the spotlight as much as everybody else, man, it's tough to kind of key in on a lot of the things that they do and don't do well. I still just go back on the like the sheer number of athletes, the depth, and they have even if, even in a win over Notre Dame, and we know what Alabama's done against Notre Dame in the last decade, and what these other SEC programs have done versus Notre Dame. You're still not even close to seeing the caliber of athlete, the caliber of player that you're going to see when you play Alabama. So, you know, I I'm not saying that Alabama's going to blow them out, but I think Alabama's going to feel pretty good in the fourth quarter. And uh, watch for a backdoor cover. This could easily be a twenty point fourth quarter game and the Deseret kind of tacks one in. So I'd be very careful, very careful on the 13 and a half. Uh, if it was 13, maybe 12 and a half, I'd be all over. But 13 and a half kind of scares me a little bit. Yes, you definitely got to get to that two touchdown mark uh, with, with the extra points. But um, the, the the biggest thing about this game, here's my breakdown of it, is, is the strength of schedule. Alabama's sitting there at number one in the country meaning they played the toughest schedule in all of college football, and uh, they're sitting there at 12-1. And, one. and uh, Cincinnati is 45th, you know, in, in comparison to the other two playoff teams, I think Georgia's second and Michigan is fourth with Ohio State sandwiched in between them at, at third. So three of the top four playoff teams had the top four toughest schedules, and, and that tells the biggest story to me. We've seen Notre Dame get in the playoff after playing a week schedule and, and get waxed. Um, I mean, Cincinnati, when you're playing teams like this is their schedule, you're talking about Miami, Ohio, Murray State, Indiana, Notre Dame, Temple, UCF, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, USF, Southern Methodist, whoever the hell that is, Eastern Carolina, and Houston. I mean, the power teams, they, the power five teams they played have been Indiana and Notre Dame. Notre Dame's by far their best win. Um, uh, and, and, you know, Alabama's last game was against Georgia and Georgia, I think can, can test it, can attest to this as well. They were, they're kind of, you know, softened up by a, a weaker SEC East schedule. I mean, by the time Florida got to them, they basically quit. They lost their national championship week three when they lost to Alabama at home. Um, they, they kind of put all their efforts into that one, put everything they had on film and Georgia just shut them down. Um, you, you know, and and then Georgia, they were they were the big favorites, almost you know over a, over a, a touchdown, and and they started reading all the news clippings, and then and then they got waxed. And I think I still think Georgia probably has the best chance to win the Natty. You know, all in all, I think Alabama was able to play off of disrespect and emotion, which they're never able to do. They're always the favorite, and I think Cincinnati can bring that in. That's where it, it differs a little bit, is they can play the disrespect card. Um, and, and, you know, with them being a, a two-touchdown underdog. Um, but, you know, the closest thing they've seen to a roster like Alabama's is Notre Dame, and that was back on October 2nd. So when this game kicks off, it'll be almost 90 days since they've set, stepped foot on the same football field as a Power 5 school. And that Power 5 school is nothing like the talent they're going to be facing. And so, you know, I, I think that holds more value really than anything else, any other way you break this game down. I think that's the biggest thing is just the level of competition that these two teams have played. Um, emotion is going to be riding high for Cincinnati. Uh, and so I think that carries them, like I said earlier, I think that carries them about a quarter. You know, at the end of the first quarter, I can see this game being, you know, 10 to 7. Cincinnati maybe 13 to 7, 13 to 10. I can see them being ahead or at least right there in it if the game isn't tied. Um, I think, you know, in, in the last – with the adjustments that Alabama makes, I think their coaching staff is just so much better. And I think their depth is really going to hurt Cincinnati in the second half of this football game. And, uh, and I, I see, you know, you, you, really you stop the quarterback run. I think that's something big that we didn't mention earlier. Uh, but like J-Law said, the backdoor cover is always an option. But 
I'm going to give a score prediction of 45-28. And uh, that would be Alabama by what, 17? So I think Alabama covers 45-28. And I think, you know, it could be 45-21. And they try to bet to recover, but they only got it to, to 17 instead of 24. Uh, Lester, g- g- give me – Give me your thoughts on this game, your final thoughts, and give me a score prediction as we wrap up the podcast tonight. I am going to say uh, 48-27. Um, Cincinnati is a group of five team for a, for a reason. Um, sure, they've, they've won this far. They've won other games. You know, I just, I, I, I just hope Bama comes out focused. And business as usual, they don't take this team lightly just because they're Cincinnati. There's no reason why Cincinnati should ever compete on the same football field as Alabama. Um, Talent-wise, recruiting-wise, Bama's got the best coach in the game. Cincinnati does not belong on this field. Cincinnati is in this game simply because of Boise State in the years past. Utah, um, teams that have quote unquote gotten screwed by the BCS or earlier in the playoffs since since the playoffs been going on. Um, I want Bama to beat this team by fifty, so we never have to encounter a Cincinnati in the playoff again. Um, I understand why they're here. I get it. You know, let's go ahead and get this out of the way in twenty twenty one. So hopefully we don't have to see this again. But yeah, I mean, I'd I'd put Texas A and M. Um, a motivated Florida. I'd put so many more teams on a neutral field versus Cincinnati, and they would dominate them. But they're here. Um, they have their opportunity. This is their opportunity. They're going to make the most of it, like J. Law said. They're going to, you know, bring out all kinds of crap out the woodwork. But I just hope Bama comes out focused, ready to play ball, knowing that it's even disrespectful for Cincinnati on the same field as them on this type of stage. So I'm going to go with uh, 48. Um, what's that 27 24 or something like that? Yeah, so yeah, 48 27. J Law, you want to give a score? Yeah, I was gonna go 38 24. So I, I think we cover, I think yeah. it's a 14 point ball game. I just don't, I don't know, say we want to get in the 40s in this one. Remember, he broke the 35 point yeah. streak or whatever last year. I mean, he wants to win this game, get out of there injury free, and move on. So I, I kind of like it. Uh, whatever I said, 38-24, so a 14-point range. All right, yeah, yeah, we all have something anywhere from 14 to fourteen to 21 points um, in that area. We all think Cincinnati is going to score anywhere from 24 to, to 28. So pretty consistent there with our score predictions. Um, you know, let, let, let's hope it gets to that. I think Alabama is just too explosive on offense. Um, and like Jay law said, they're just too good against the run on defense to, to let – you know, a, a team like Cincinnati really control the line of scrimmage. I think that's going to be a big factor, plus the uh, the strength strength of schedule, like I talked about. But uh, guys, appreciate y'all joining me here tonight. Um, roll Tide playoff week. Everybody enjoy it. Uh, have a happy New Year. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays all the way around. Uh, to Jesse and all the Jewish people out there, Happy Hanukkah. I guess coming up or already passed. I'm really not sure when it is. But um, until next week. This is episode 56 of the Gunpunters Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. See you guys.